The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. All right, well, we are in our last week in our series called Frequently Asked Questions. And today we are talking about morality. Morality. But first, I want to show you guys something. Uh, Krista, my wife and I, she's at a youth gathering with 25,000 kids, so she's not here today, but I'm going to talk about her anyway. You guys can take notes and keep me in check. Uh, We're in the process of moving into our first house. We closed on Wednesday, and we had a bunch of help from some awesome people on Friday to move into our house. Super exciting for us. We are ready. But I snapped this picture as I was packing, and I want you guys to see it. Does anyone have one of these? This is the junk drawer. And I am a big proponent of junk drawers. Uh, I think, if if I can count it up, every room in our apartment had a junk drawer of sorts. You go into the kitchen, there's that mess of tools that you use for one thing and one thing only, all scattered about. This is the junk drawer in my office. Uh, You can see a pen, you can see ticket stubs, a library card, a uh, some sort of Apple device for charging, a flashlight, note cards. It's a junk drawer. Um, And I think in our new house, we will start with zero junk drawers, except for this one, which I moved just like that. But we will eventually have junk drawers in every room of the house. That's just people being people. The reason I show you this is, one, it's fun, and uh, I wanted to let you guys in on what I see every day. Uh, And two, I kind of think this sermon, in this sermon series, is the junk drawer of the series. We've got a lot of questions, and some are way over here, and some are way over here, and we're going to try to tie them all together in one big drawer. And just remember, I love junk drawers, so this is a lot of fun. It's a good challenge. Uh, Today we're talking about morality. And morality is a big topic. You can have objective or subjective morality. You can have morality, questions about morality now talk about, well, do we need God to have morality? And one of the other questions we have is, do we even need morality right now? Those are big, big, deep philosophical questions that tie into all sorts of different parts of life. And I would submit to you that if you want to go into that deep dive, the good place to start from like a Christian perspective is to go on YouTube, uh, look up Ravi Zacharias, and just start with him and go into that wormhole at that moment. That's not even one of our questions, so I'm going to take the simple Uh, Merriam-Webster definition of that. So a simple definition or working definition of morality is beliefs about what is right behavior and what is wrong behavior. The degree to which something is right and good, the moral goodness or badness of something. So some of our questions today are going to talk about, okay, how do we navigate questions and behaviors that pertain to the Christian faith? And for a long time, for a prolonged amount of time, the society that we lived in, or live in, kind of matched 
what we read somewhat scripturally when it comes to a certain morality or ethic. And, and there was a certain uh, Judeo-Christian moral fiber of our society. And there are a lot of people right now that are lamenting that this fiber is, is kind of breaking down on one side. On the other side, people say, well, that was crazy to begin with, and for every little string that gets pulled out of that fiber and falls to the ground, people are rejoicing. It's kind of my view on where I think things are. And, and just to play my cards a little bit, I don't think as a society that, that we are putting this back together again. I don't think we can vote it back together again or, or can pick it or demand that certain things are in certain places to get this back together again because I think the ship has kind of left the harbor and has sailed away. But, I say all that, but... That's the society. And Christians and Christianity and you and me, for, for our faith, this isn't new for us. For us to be living inside of a culture that looks different from what we might believe. And so this is an opportunity for us. Um, Christianity, for, for a long time, and in many different cultures throughout its 2,000-year history, has, has lived and really shown brightly in the subversiveness of not being on the top part of culture. And so right now, for your kids and your kids back there and for yourselves, we have an opportunity. And the opportunity is to look at life differently and to examine life differently. If you're a Christian today, or if you're raising a young Christian today, you have to be more on your game than you were 15, 25, 50 years ago. If you're, you're not a Christian, or if you thought uh, that all of this Christianity stuff was just about morality, then I invite you to listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's not going to be on the slide. I'll read it twice. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that though Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue, yet it leads you on, out of all of that, into something beyond. I'll say it again. I think Christians would agree with me if I said that though Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about the duties and rules and guilt and virtue. Yet it leads you on, out of all of that, into something beyond. C.S. Lewis said that, and I think it gives us a good picture of what some people's perspective on Christianity can be. And sometimes our own perspective. Hey, it's about this. I show up here. I marry that person. I go to church on this day, and I keep these rules because that's what Christians do. But he says, you know, it might look like that, but it's really about something bigger and beyond. And what's bigger and beyond that is, is God, the one who put everything into place. And Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with the Father. 
he came down to live among us so that we could be connected back to the Father. So I want to submit to you guys that we trust him. We trust him with a couple of things. One, we trust him with our lives and that we trust him with the hard questions. And so today, these are the questions. Number one, and you'll see that side, that side, it's all over. Number one, what does God say about if it's better to get a divorce or to stay in an abusive marriage? That's the first one. Number two, why do we go to church on Sundays? Number three, is it okay to worship God on our own? Number four, is there any sin that won't be forgiven by God? I submit that we can trust God with these questions because he's proven himself trustworthy. So, number one, one of the biggies. What does God say about if it's better to get a divorce or to stay in an abusive marriage? First off, if you are in an abusive relationship or you know someone who's in an abusive relationship, um, one, get, get help. That was not the intention, but it is a very realistic effect of sin. And sometimes we can't see it, so it's not easy to point and say, oh, well, that person is in an abusive relationship. Um, and it's hard to come out and say, that's true about me. So talk to somebody, one. Talk to, uh, um, get distance if you need to. Talk to Pastor Gabe or myself or one of our elders, or if you really need to, call the police. Let's just get that out in the open. Second, God talks about marriage and divorce. Uh, through his revealed word, the Bible. There are some things that the Bible answers, and we're like, oh yeah, that's an easy, right or wrong. And there are some things that it's, you're like, I have to click this brain on and use it to try to navigate uh, situations. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit. First, uh, marriage is one of the ways that God describes his relationship with us, the church. He says, I am the groom, and you, church, are the bride. And so he holds marriage in such a high estate. And so when we see divorce or we see abuse or sin inside of a marriage, that's why it's so painful. So the question is, what does God say about it? Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 19. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7. Jesus talks to the Pharisees. In Matthew 19, and they were testing him, trying to slip, get him to slip up. And they asked this, verse 3, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You can see the character of the Pharisees by their question. Is it lawful to get a divorce, to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus responds, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Whatever God has joined together, let, man, let not man separate. And they said to him, because we already kind of know their character, Why then did Moses command... 
wanted to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. So they're like, ah, but this little moment in the law from way back when, why, why did Moses say this? By the way, a little aside, if in that day when Moses did that, that was a progressive move for the rights of the woman who was being divorced. Okay? Before that, if someone pushed their wife aside in Moses' day, that person was on their own. So, it was never the intention. They get the certificate, and they can essentially survive. They're not on their own. There's, there's someone who said, okay, we know what happened here. Let's just say that. That's not the point, though. Jesus said back to them, Because of your hardness of hearts, we talked about that a couple weeks ago with Pharaoh, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, talks about marriage. And this is where we get into our kind of question of the day. He says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Jesus says that adultery is a means for divorce. And Paul says, if the unbelieving partner separates, which is just abandoning the partner, then you can divorce. And so we've got adultery and abandonment. Uh, what, what about abuse? I mean... This is deep and ugly and sinful. What about abuse? Well, Bible scholars and, and Christian ethicists and people that think about morality uh, have kind of come to this conclusion and said, okay, it's, you, you can get out if there's abandonment, and there's a very real abandonment of somebody leaving, but there's also what they call malicious abandonment. And malicious abandonment includes the circumstances uh, when, when one spouse is abusing another. Or addiction or other circumstances when one spouse uh, cr creates a, a significant compromise for the other spouse or the children. It is not pretty. And it is not clear-cut black and white, yes or no. And so if you know somebody who's doing that, or uh, if you ask that question, then seek out the body of Christ. Or seek out uh, police. Or seek out support. We weren't meant to do this alone. The interlocking of people in marriage is a deeply powerful thing. And so whether it's Abuse or adultery or abandonment or just treating your spouse with contempt, we take that sin and we take it to the cross. That's where it belongs. That was one, all right? Questions two and three, a little bit easier, a little bit more, a little lighter, because there's nowhere else to go from there but up. Uh, two, why do we go to church on Sundays? Short answer, Easter, okay? We go to church on Sundays, 
Uh, that is a hard shift into a different gear. I am sorry, y'all. Uh, the short answer is Easter. We're reminded of Easter when we meet here on Sunday mornings. And we're reminded of Jesus' defeat over sin, death, the power of the devil. And in Easter, we see that he is king of the universe because he defeated sin, death, and the power of the devil. Now, does that mean we can't worship on Friday night or Saturday night or Monday night? Uh, no. That, you, yeah, you can, you can worship then. This is just when we do it, and it's kind of common for us to do it at this moment. There's other stuff. There's a much longer answer, but we've got to keep going. Uh, I will say this. Mark 2 reminds us that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's why we hold it a little looser. It's not, well, you have to show up from 8 to 9 and then go eat donuts and then have a Bible study hour and then go to Bible study this, this, this during this time. Because for some people that have jobs during that time, or it's just can't do it at that time, that becomes guilt and a weight and a law on them. Uh, Jesus, or Jesus, God, uh, was in the process of retraining his people when this kind of comes up in the Ten Commandments. Uh, six days God created the earth, seventh day, rest. Okay? Um, if you think back to Egypt when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, they did a couple of things, and they did it a lot. Bricks, 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 bricks. Lots and lots of bricks that they made. Bricks, 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 bricks. They forgot the rest. So when God took them out of slavery, out of the hands of Egypt and of Pharaoh, he retrained them. And he brought them back into a relationship with him. So it looks like work, 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 rest. Rihanna missed a moment. Work, 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 rest. So it's more about the Sabbath than about one day or another. All right. Is it okay to worship God on our own? When I think of this question... I think of food, all right? Does anyone else just go there? Is it okay to worship God on your own? Well, food, that is the obvious answer. You might have had some already. If you haven't yet, you're probably thinking about food as well. Generally, I eat 21 meals a week, sometimes more. We're not going to go into that. But many of those 21 times, I eat alone. And... Yeah, it does the job. I put food in my mouth, it's nourishing, and I can enjoy a good meal alone. And I think it's important to be able to enjoy a meal alone. If you can't eat alone, then what happens when you're alone and you're hungry? I mean, this is why we teach kids... First, you know, you kind of feed them, and you do the airplane thing, and you put the food in their mouth, and then uh, you cut everything up for them, and then you give them a fork, maybe you start with a fork or a spoon, and then you let them kind of feed themselves, and then you give them a knife, and then they can cut it up and feed themselves, and then maybe somewhere along the line, they learn how to make a grilled cheese, and that's not sustainable for all of life, but it's pretty good, 
But by the end, you know, somewhere between 13 and 35, a human should know how to make food for themselves. Okay? Depending on your, uh, depending on your, your life stage or whatever. Because um, if you don't eat alone, you run the risk of starving. And you don't need to starve. Okay? But there are other times where I go out with my wife and we eat with other people. And we go eat with other people, and sometimes when we go out and eat with other people, it's real quick. And it's like, hey, you know, let's just grab some food real quick. But there's other times where it might be once a week, might be 52 times a year or 60 times a year, that we go and enjoy a meal. And we go in, and we might make a reservation and sit down. And then it's not just about the food, but it's about the people that are around the table with us. And it's about, ooh, there's a white tablecloth here. Or there's a waiter here. Or somebody that took my order, and they're going to bring it to me. They're going to serve me as I sit and eat. And then, I noticed this. My wife is a super taster, so she can taste things I don't. And so, whenever she's around or someone else is around, they say, hey, did you notice that cilantro in that meal? Or some of my friends, it's, okay, these hops have to have come from the West Coast because they're a little bit more citrusy. Or there's that moment when someone's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, here's my fork, you have to try what I'm eating. And then it bubbles over into, hey, this meal at this time, at this restaurant, or at this person's house cannot be contained by our experience here. But we have to take a picture of it and put it on Instagram and tell the world that you have to see what I'm eating because it's so good. And oh my gosh, you have to go to that restaurant because at that restaurant, oh, the food just makes you feel like you have life running through your veins. So when I think about going to church and can I worship God alone? Yeah, I hope you can. But you're not made just to eat alone. You're made for community and to be with other Christians. Four, is there any sin that won't be forgiven by God? We're bookending it with some some depth in the middle of food. First off, if you are worried about that sin, whatever it may be, if you're like, I don't know if I'm okay, then let me assure you, that thing that's saying that inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that's saying, am I okay? Am I in a good relationship with God? And if that's the case, it's good. You're you're probably in in a good state with God. Uh, but, but to answer the question, is there any sin that won't be forgiven by God? Yeah, the short answer is, is yes. And we read it earlier, and it was really confusing. And it goes back to those Pharisees who are always trying to trap Jesus and, like, turn the screw on him. Uh, and they said, this is uh, Mark 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, we learned that those scribes are Pharisees in uh, Matthew's account of this. Uh, they were the religious leaders trying to get Jesus. Uh, they said, hey, he is possessed by Beelzebub. They're saying that about Jesus. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And they called to him and they said, how can Satan cast out Satan? 
This is Jesus talking. If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he can't stand, but is coming to an end. No one enters, can enter a ha- strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he indeed may plunder his house. When I read that part, they were saying, hey, Jesus must be of Satan because he's casting out demons. But he's like, no, you can't bind a strong man, a demon, unless you, or you can't get that out unless you bind the strong man. So I think Jesus is bigger than the demon, and so therefore he can cast out. He's all powerful. Preach, yeah. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he had an unclean spirit. Oh my goodness. Does this mean that if I've ever taken the Holy Spirit or God's name in vain? that, Or if I've ever said something bad about the Spirit that I'm out? No. I don't think so. No. But, well, shoot, let's just, I, there, there's an old uh, 18th, 19th century, 1800s, let's say there, theologian who talked about this, and he said, the sin, like blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, remains unforgiven because, not because of the magnitude of the sin, but because of the type of the sin. We sang that song earlier, it says, where grace runs deep, or where sin runs deep, your grace is more. That comes from uh, Romans chapter 5. It says, where sin abounds, your grace abounds even more. So the big sins that we don't want to talk about, uh, God is bigger than that. A person who has committed the sin against the Holy Spirit is condemned, not because of the account of the sin, but, but because of their unbelief. It's like this. I played football my senior year of high school. Didn't know what I was doing. Defensive end, so if you're a defensive end or a linebacker and you see a running back coming towards you, you want to tackle the guy with the ball. That person's coming towards me and I'm, I'm lining up to blow him up. I go down and with one hand, one little hand on my forehead, he diverted my force and like put me in the ground. If you guys have seen this, that's what it is. That's the stiff arm. This stiff arm, this is the stiff arm sin. Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are running towards you with an overwhelming amount of power and love and grace and life. And if you put your arm out and stiff arm that, you're rejecting the only thing that can bring that life to you. And if you still are kind of questioning, I don't know if I'm okay with God, then uh, let me offer you three things. One, don't look to yourself. If you're wondering, I don't know, I'm not feeling really assured about my salvation right now. One, don't look to yourself. Look to Jesus. Because you can trust him with your relationships, uh, with his people, the people in the church, and, and with your faith. Two, hear it. Hear it. 
You are forgiven. You have life, and you are loved more than you'll ever know by Jesus. Third thing, taste it. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be going to communion. And this is a physical uh, way of understanding um, that, that you are forgiven. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can touch it. And it's his way of saying, I came down for you. Not so that you have to worry about some sin that you've committed, but that you can lay that sin where it actually belongs to Jesus and, and have life in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you for this time. I thank you for these people with these amazing questions. And I just ask that we be able to trust you with our, with our hard questions, with our lives, with our relationships. Because we know that, that you came to give us life and forgiveness and love, and we thank you for that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.